Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Then the Blessed One said to the Venerable Ananda, Ananda, the two solitaries are quite covered with blossoms, though it is not the season. Disciples scatter and sprinkle and strew them on the perfect one's body out of veneration for him. And heavenly mandarava flowers and heavenly sandalwood powder fall from the sky and are scattered and sprinkled and strewn over the perfect one's body out of veneration for him. And heavenly music is played and heavenly songs are sung in the sky out of veneration for him. But this is not how a perfect one is honored, respected, revered, venerated, or reverenced. Rather, it is the bhikkhu or bhikkhuni, the man or woman lay follower who lives according to the Dharma who enters upon the proper way, who walks in the law that honors, respects, and reveres and venerates a perfect one with the highest praise of all. Therefore, Ananda, train thus. Live in the Dharma, enter upon the path, and walk on this way. The ten oxherding pictures on Parinirvana Day, the first picture, searching for the ox. Preface. The ox has never been lost. Why then do you need to search for it? Turning away from your own awakening, you became estranged from it. Engulfed by dust, you lost it. The hills of home recede farther and farther away. As soon as the paths divide, you've gone astray. Winning and losing consume you like flames, 
right and wrong rise around you like blades. The verse. Cutting through the endless brambles, you seek and search. The rivers broaden, the mountains stretch on, and the trails go ever deeper. Your strength exhausted and spirit wearied. No place allows you refuge. The only sound, evening cicadas shrilling in the maples. Good afternoon. Today is February 14th, Valentine's Day. I love you. And the second day of our winter session, we've just commemorated Shakyamuni Buddha's entry into Parinirvana. And we're taking to heart his final exhortation Train thus, live in the Dharma, enter upon the path and walk on this way. Two years ago, during winter kese at Daibasatsu Zendo, the residents and I were together for an all-day Parinirvana sitting. One year ago, we held a Parinirvana Zazenkai here at Hoenji. A few weeks later, everything shut down. And ever since, we have been experiencing an intense 
year-long training in solitary practice. Yet, thanks to this digital format, we are indeed living together in the Dharma, entering upon the path together and walking together on this way. Deprived of many of our former distractions, we have been finding a new resonance in the Buddha's words. They've become an urgent ultimatum for each one of us. Surrounded by so much sickness, so much death, our awareness of the transitory nature of life has grown acute. We know what awaits us. The death-dealing demon of impermanence, as Master Rinzai reminded us yesterday in Hokuto Sensei's stellar talk. And we've entered the year of the iron ox. As you know, the ox is prized in agrarian societies like India and China for its hard work, its willingness to take on whatever needs to be done, its patience and perseverance. Beyond the pragmatic though, Hinduism considers the ox a messenger of the gods. And in Zen Buddhism, the ox, sometimes called a buffalo or a bull, signifies our true nature. Some of you have worked on case 38 of the Mumon Khan, in which Go So Ho and Zenji said, A buffalo goes through the window, his head, horns, and four legs all go through. Why can't the tail pass through? 
the massive body has gotten through. What's with that tiny tail? So training the ox. has come to be a metaphor for training the mind. At first, we may not even recognize how conflicted, confused, self-absorbed, and egocentric our ungoverned mental state is. Pulled and pushed by desires and aversions, we view any adversity as unwarranted and are filled with complaints. But like the ox, learning how to work in harmony with the farmer and the yoke, we find that as we submit to Zen training, subtle shifts occur without our even noticing. Little things start making a perceptible difference. Just sitting still when mind and body are shouting move instead of move. Let's get out of here. That discipline in itself has an extraordinary effect not only on our sitting, but more importantly, on our lives and the lives of all those around us. What seems at first an unwanted, insufferable burden begins to lighten. Like the ox, we learn to wear the yoke of our practice with equanimity and patience, freely embracing our karma. 
as the Dhammapada reminds us, our life is shaped by our mind. We become what we think. Our thoughts condition the mind and set in motion an ever-widening ripple effect. So we all know what the untrained mind feels like. And we notice it particularly when we first settle down to do Zazen. So much unfocused, chaotic chatter. Probably we're all familiar with monkey mind, jumping from branch to branch, thought to thought, past to future. Or how about sloth mind? Just drifting along, lost in a dream state anywhere but here. Or just caught up in a round of negative emotions, irritation, fear, anxiety. And of course, you know that all these manifestations of the untrained mind arise from the belief in the separate self. Very different from the kind of self-confidence of which we heard yesterday. This separate self, I, the most precious one, I, the center of the universe. The ego entity that must be protected at all costs. Of course, causes continual unrest and sucks us into a swamp of disgruntlement, resentment, and frustration. But when we first begin, we may not notice how enmeshed we are in these kinds of delusory thoughts. But we do notice that we're suffering. Psychic pain is a heavy weight. There's an all-pervasive feeling of 
dissatisfaction, confusion, things are not going to our liking. In a word, dukkha. But as our practice matures, we become aware more quickly when this kind of mindset takes over. And as we go along, this may have happened to you, as we go along in our practice, as we get a little better at it, we may feel even worse. Maybe we feel embarrassed, in fact. But that recognition is really helpful because it brings home to us the importance of training, especially in this time of heightened uncertainty, which of course is always the case. His Holiness the Dalai Lama has said, to achieve a friendly attitude, a warm heart, respect for the rights of others, and concern for their welfare, we must train the mind. So we must train the mind. How? You might wonder, how? Well, you'll be happy to know that there's actually a step-by-step -step manual even though the Diamond Sutra says, what? No formula. We have a training manual. And now you may say, well, why didn't you give it to me earlier? Well, it comes at the right time, don't you think? This Manual is a kind of manga for Zen practice. People know manga, manga, pictures and words together. Hmm. This manga was composed about a thousand years ago. And it's a series of drawings with verses called the 10 Oxherding Pictures by Kakuan Shion Zenji. It's considered the most basic of four 
important Zen texts, along with Shinjin Mei, which you know as faith in mind, the Shodoka, the Song of Enlightenment, and the Zazengi, Principles of Zazen. So for these 10 Oxfording pictures, I'm using a slightly edited translation by the contemporary scholar monk, Sogen Victor Hori. Some of you may remember him. He spoke in Syracuse and stayed with us at Hoenji some years ago. Now a brief bit of history. Kakuan Shion Zenji lived during the 12th century on Mount Ryoan in China. And he was the Dharma heir of Daizui Genjo Zenji, whose Dharma ancestors' names we chant in our lineage, Te Dai Denpo. Yogi Hoe Zenji, Hakun Shitan Zenji, Go So Hoen Zenji. Both Daizui and Engo Kokugon Zenji, compiler of the Hekigan Roku, the Blue Cliff Record, received transmission from Go So Hoen Zenji whose koan about the buffalo going through the window I mentioned earlier. Kakuan's Dharma heir, Jion Osho, wrote an introduction and a preface to each of the Oxfording pictures and published them. He wrote that he used them to seek and understand the mystery and meaning of the Dharma, to touch and grasp its profound subtlety. There have been other versions of the 10 Oxherding pictures ancient and modern, such as the ones by Soto Zen priest Seigo Kosho Zenji, Funmyo Zensho Zenji, Shubun Zenji, who is a 15th century artist monk whose paintings are reproduced in D.T. Suzuki's Manual of Zen Buddhism. Tomi Kichiro Tokuriki Sensei, whose woodblock drawings are reproduced in Nyogen Senzaki's and Paul Rep's Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. And Yokusei 
Jikihara Osho, a contemporary teacher in the Obaku School of Zen, whose drawings are on display at Zen Mountain Monastery. So today, we're going to hear about the first picture in the series, Searching for the Ox. And I think this brings us back to our own beginnings. What led you to Zen? What led you to Buddhism? Do you remember the first time you had a piercing experience of dukkha that simultaneously opened a doorway to a secret realm of mystery and majesty. Who remembers? Never be embarrassed to say so, at least to yourself. This is where our self-confidence arises. That doorway to an unimagined realm. Do you remember how poor me and why me were suddenly transformed into wondrous everything with not a trace of separation? between what you had called you and the entire cosmos? Whether we remember or not, whether we admit it or not, I think many of us have had that kind of opening. Often, in childhood or adolescence, moments of clarity, of awe, sometimes subtle, sometimes splitting the universe, moments that moved us to seek a path that would allow us to further explore 
what lay behind and beyond that doorway. In a completely non-intellectual way, this brought about the aspiration to know for oneself once and for all. As the Bodhisattva's vow puts it, when I, a student of Dharma, look at the real form of the universe. And so we search for the ox. We may be old timers, we may be new to the practice, but we are all here for the first time. And the arousing of that aspiration is in itself none other than the arousing of Bodhi mind, enlightened heart, Bodhicitta. And what brings about that aspiration is aspiration itself. It's like this. Our own Bodhi mind is called by universal Bodhi mind. The ox is right here within. Jion Osho says in his preface to the 10 ox herding pictures, the ox has never been lost. Why then do you need to search for it? Well, I bet some of you know why. Are we fully awake to this ever-present ox? Are our eyes wide open to what is within? Or are we attached to a dim memory of some past experience? If so, try as we may, we cannot reclaim it. It's unrepeatable. How about now? Caught up in a dream, we cannot see the ox, thinking it's lost or somewhere out there. 
we feel compelled to search for it. We turn away from our own fundamental nature and seek it outside. As Hakuin Zenji wrote in his Song of Zazen, not knowing how near the truth is, we seek it far away. What a pity. We are like one who in the midst of water cries and thirst so imploringly. We, each one of us here, must come to this ourselves. We can't take anyone else's word for it. We must begin searching, even though in doing so we push it away. Or as Gion puts it, turning away from your own awakening, you become estranged from it. So even though we have had some taste of it, what's wrong? We haven't developed the trust necessary for full realization. And why? Due to our excellent education in logical thinking and compartmentalization and due to all the times we were told not to believe in magic. We've closed down that open channel of cosmic communication. We've lost faith in our intimacy with truth. We've lost our self-confidence. So we yearn for it. And we think we need to seek it far away. And then what? Gion says, engulfed by dust, you've lost it. The hills of home recede further and further away as soon as the paths divide, you've gone astray.
So each one of us is here on this path because at one point or another, perhaps before we even heard of Buddhism, perhaps during our years of practice, we encountered something wonderful, something so familiar, our true home. But to put it simply, our never simple conditioning keeps reasserting itself and the hills of home grow ever more distant. Our habitual pattern of dividing in an effort to conquer, slicing fundamental oneness into innumerable pieces we think we can control, All of this leads us astray. So Gion continues, winning and losing consumes you like flames. Right and wrong rise around you like blades. Having lost our faith in oneness, what do we believe in? Dualistic thinking. Enslaved by the discriminating intellect, we burn in the flames of gain and loss. We are sliced by the blades of right and wrong. And yet, and yet, here we are in human form. Shakyamuni Buddha said in the great Parinirvana Sutra, the Buddha's appearance in the world is rare. The human form is difficult to attain. And directly having faith in the Buddha's birth is something also difficult. Being capable of patience is difficult. Attaining the human body is rare. You're meeting me, he said, must not be passed by in vain. So here we are with aspiration and motivation, we have come to intercession. 
we've met with the Buddha's teachings in our very own human bodies. How do we ensure that these teachings are not passed by in vain? Train thus, the Buddha said. Not just when you feel like it, not just when it's convenient. Be steadfast and diligent like the ox. Train with assiduity. It's our own Buddha nature that gives us the aspiration, this strong motivation to recognize our original face. Yamada Mumon Roshi said, just to recognize that our original face, our eternal self resides in that place beyond discrimination, proves that we humans are originally Buddha. You must generate the Bodhi mind. You must affirm the vow and set forth to seek the ox. Yes, to meet our own body mind, we must have a strong vow. And we must set forth. It's a long, strenuous journey filled with obstacles. Even though the ox is right here within each one of us, we have to seek to realize that. We have to struggle before we can fully Understand Rinzai's Buji. Nothing to do. So we must search with all our might to realize that searching is it. That every Searching step is finding. Thus Dogen said, upon his great awakening, practice is enlightenment. Enlightenment is practice.
Kakawan's verse to searching for the ox goes like this. Cutting through the endless brambles, you seek and search. The rivers broaden, the mountains stretch on, and the trails go ever deeper. Your strength exhausted and spirit wearied, no place allows you refuge. The only sound, evening cicadas shrilling in the maples. So we start out on our journey. Brambles, delusions are thick and sharp and entangling. We hack away again and again. We cut through, we persevere. We come to a river and we have to ford it. Then another one, river after river, each wider each harder to cross. We struggle up mountain after mountain on ill-marked winding trails that just seem to lead further up yet another steep ascent and down into another ravine. And then what? A sheer rock face. Doesn't this sound like Zen practice? Step after stumbling step, we feel we can't go any further. And still we have not reached the end of our journey. We have not yet reached home. Evening comes. There's no one around. Utter silence. Then we hear them. Piercing through. Shrilling in the maples. Cicadas.
I'm sure many of you know the haiku by Matsuo Basho. It goes like this. Shizukasaya Ewa ni shimi iru Semi no koe Stillness Cries of the cicadas Pierce the rocks But in keeping with this season, I offer you a haiku I wrote today after Doksan. Lone sparrow alights on the bare mock orange branch. Snow begins again. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.